Log Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And it's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caudle with John Harlow here tonight. We're breaking down the Geico 500 from Talladega Super Speedway. Joey Logano took the victory. It was his 19th career win. He held off Kurt Busch and Chase Elliott and others as he got to the start-finish line at lap 188 to win the Geico 500. It's his first win of the season. He locks him into the playoffs. Logano uh, is in the playoffs and won his first race of the year. Uh, a couple of accidents happened, a couple of big ones. One when Jimmy Johnson lost control of his Chevrolet, and Eric Jones spun and, and crashed and caused a trigger to five car incident. We'll discuss that and the package this weekend at Talladega Super Speedway. Spencer Gallagher was victorious in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race at Talladega. We'll discuss that race as well. And, of course, the life and career of the late James Harvey Hilton, uh, one of NASCAR's independent drivers, won two races on NASCAR circuit. Him and his son, Uh, James Jr. passed away this week on Saturday morning, traveling home from Talladega Super Speedway from the ARCA race after in a single vehicle accident. Uh, Our thoughts and prayers are with the family and friends of James Hilton. We'll discuss his life and career. Also, we'll take your phone calls, 917-889-8280. So it is a busy show tonight here on Talking in Circles. But first, John, it's the Geico 500 from Talladega Super Speedway. Joey Logano was your winner, Kurt Busch second, Chase Elliott third, Kevin Harvick was fourth, fifth was Ricky Stenhouse Jr., David Reagan sixth, Eric Amarola seventh, Alex Bowman, Ryan Newman, and Daniel Suarez rounded up the top ten. Uh, if there's one thing that's good here, not only did Joey Logano's win, it's Ford. Fourteen of the fastest cars all week. Uh, six of the top seven positions were taken by Fords. Ford really. Something and, like we were having know, some I, I technical think, difficulties. There you go, Clayton. There, there you go. Uh, well, Ford has, has really has the package nailed down. Yeah, I think the Fords had a great day. Um, and if you look, one of the things that you understand, at least we could see throughout the race, Fords uh, decided as a group they were going to run together. And one of the things you heard Chase Elliott gripe about at the end of the race and um, he said, I thought our Chevy was good, but it wasn't as fast. It had been at the restrictor plates. They had a solid car. But when it got time to the end, it's, he was kind of upset. He said, "Those uh, you would have thought that someone would try to do something, but none of the Fords were having it. I was trying to move forward and make a lane and get a push, but they weren't interested in, interested in advancing. It sounds like the Fords were geared. At, they were going to lock together, and Ford was somebody from Ford was going to win. And if somebody, whoever was in front from Ford, somebody else was going to be pushing them around. Um, and I think Kurt Busch kind of, as he said it, he got out Fox at the end. He thought he had a shot to go and either waited too late or didn't get a push he was expecting and wound up finishing second. It was Ford, Ford, Ford all day long. I mean, very few outside of Ford you saw leading the race. Um, the only Chevy that was up front for any length of time was Alex Bowman. And 
I mean, that 88 car always had some magic at the super speedway. So that's uh, one of the good things about it, but it was Ford all day long. Stenhouse had a penalty and worked his way back. Um, Kurt Busch got caught up here and there with uh, going back and forth and he wound up second. Harvick had a good car, but he wasn't as good as he expected to be. I think one of the best cars all day long again was Eric Almarola. You could see, stuff coming out of him he was he started dead last on the field after the part broke after the brakes blew up in uh qualify in practice on uh i mean in qualifying on saturday morning and he started dead last wound up seventh but he was up front most of the day so i mean it was ford all day long they got the horsepower from doug yates they have the package the way it works but i think there needs to be some changes in that package because you saw jimmy johnson's he touched him and all of a sudden it was gone. And he took out half the field with 25, 30 laps to go because they're skewing the cars left and right to get the less, least amount of drag on it. And it's causing aerodynamic issues, which makes them spin. And we'll definitely touch on that. There's, uh, I think with Hendrick Motorsports, it might be a, another um, thing to that because Hendrick seems to have those issues a lot here on these play tracks, even back to the days, of Dale Earnhardt Jr. being in the 88 car. So we'll discuss that a little bit later as well. Um, as far as the package, I agree with you. I think there needs to be a little bit of a, uh, of a rule change here, whatever it is. But, again, we'll discuss that in a little bit. But I agree with you. It was forwards today. I mean, you look at the first stage. It was won by Kozlowski, and, and um, Joey Logano finished second. Uh, the second stage was won by Paul Menard, who really had a good race until he wrecked, um, followed by Logano, Blaney, Harvick, Stenhouse, Reagan, the first six cars in stage two were all Fords. So Fords really did a good job working together. I think the horsepower on these super speedway tracks and what Doug Gates builds, is it's obvious. It's totally clear uh, that they have an advantage over, it seems like, every team right now. I mean, they just pull away from cars. They suck up better than all the other cars do right now on these super speedways, and it's paying off for them. I mean, Ford's really won the last six races now here at Talladega Super Speedway, and it was no, there was no doubt about it today. I mean, Logano was out front. I don't think anybody was touching him. That race was saying nobody wanted to go anywhere. I don't think it mattered, and I think everybody was kind of aware of that. No matter, it, it really mattered on where the 22 went. If the 22 went low, the bottom lane worked. If the 22 went high, the outside lane worked. That 22 car was so fast, really, where he, what lane he was in really determine what lane was, was fastest. So, um, really, Team Penske especially has figured out these play tracks. Uh, Stenhouse ran really good. Reagan ran really good. Their Roush cars. McDowell ran okay at times. Uh, Bain was doing all right until he got in a wreck early. But um, no doubt the Fords were, came to play here at Talladega Super Speedway. And I think a lot of it has to do with uh, Robert Gates' engines. Doug I Gates think it engines. does. I think it really does. And one of the things I heard whenever um, – Claire B. Lang was talking to Doug Yates this morning before the race on Sirius XM. And NASCAR, after they changed the restrictor plate on Friday after Jimmy McMurray's Roof Sky Ground adventure on the backstretch, uh, NASCAR actually let them run a dyno and make adjustments to the engines and put the package in with the fuel injection, how much, uh, ga- how much fuel was getting to each piston, how much fuel was getting throughout the car. Um and Doug Yates and his team, whenever they changed the restrictor plate, they had an engine down there that they ran on the dyno 
to make sure that they could get the right final adjustments in. I don't know if the Chevys did that. I don't know if the Toyotas did that. But I know Doug Yates said his team was working all night Friday to get the right fuel compound or the right mix in the jack to get as much horsepower out of those cars as they could. And that's an impressive feat on Doug Yates' team and the way that Ford has a commitment to running these races. 22 was able to do anything he wanted. I still think the two car, there were two cars that were really good outside of them and you could see make moves was Stenhouse Jr. and Eric Almarola. But I'll tell you, for being an underfunded, I mean, a low-funded team at Front Row Motorsports, David Reagan was the best pusher all day. And he's always been like that. I mean, David Reagan has been a great pusher every time they've uh, been on a restrictor plate race. He's good at getting to the front. He's good at staying up there. And he's good at finding somebody else and pushing them to the front. One of these days, I hope somebody pushes David Reagan to the front because the amount of pushing he does for everybody else to win, it'd be nice if somebody repaid the favor. Yeah, nice solid run for that team. They've really shown some speed. Reagan was even fast in qualifying, qualifying 12th. Uh, and that's the best uh, Super Speedway start for Front Row Motorsports in a long, long time here. Since really we've gone to this new uh, two-round qualifying session at the Super Speedways, he did a great job today, no doubt about it. And his teammate, McDowell, was doing well. Um, but the, really the, the race changed a lot, John, on lap 167. That's when uh, Jimmy Johnson got sideways in front of the field. It looked like he and teammate William Byron were racing together. Uh, Byron didn't make contact with the 48 car but it looked like maybe the, the 24 took the air off the 48-car spoiler, sent the 48-car around, triggered a, a multi-car wreck that included, and here's the names of everybody who wrecked, Brad Keselowski, Austin Dillon, Denny Hamlin, Ryan Blaney, Clint Boyer, Kyle Busch, Paul Menard, William Byron, Michael McDowell, uh, Daryl Wallace Jr. got a piece of it, Eric A.J. Allmendinger got something, some of it, uh, Jimmy Johnson, Brendan Gaughan, and Casey Kane all wrecked there with about 18 laps to go in the race, uh, with about 22 to go, excuse me, left in the race. Um, just a, a – a, I know Talladega, we always see these wrecks. I thought the race was – until that point. I mean, yeah, we had a one-car a one incident that got uh, on lap 73 that, that happened when Eric Jones hit the King off the racetrack um, into another race car and, and wrecked five cars, including – uh, Trex and, and Marston uh, and Bain and and, um, and Jim McMurray, but the big wreck was on 167. We only had one of them, uh, but it was a big one. It took a lot of cars out. Well, I think a lot of it is the drivers are realizing again to fir- to finish first, you must first finish. So you saw a lot of single file racing, or you saw a lot of double file racing, where people weren't really pushing the issue that much. Um, do the 30. It's going to be a mess. Um, it never fails with Talladega. And, I mean, I, I'm trying to come around to you and Lee and Virginia's way of thinking to say, hey, this is some great racing that they have. I don't think it is. I mean, Jimmy Johnson is as good a driver as there is. He's won seven championships. He's won 84 races. And he can't – I mean, he just spins on his own with nothing, nobody near him. I mean, the 24 washed up a little bit, and Johnson said, somebody hit me. No, nobody hit him. Nobody hit you, Jimmy. It was just the air that took it away. And the way they skewed the cars, I mean, they try to do everything they can to either get down force or reduce drag. 
So instead of skewing the car right like they do to get downforce, they skew the car left to get the least amount of drag on it, and it causes the car to be loose. And you see, the, I mean, you watch from those in-car cameras, the way those cars are fishtailing, just going straight. It's just not, it's not really good racing. You'll see one line backwards. Okay, that's great. They're running tight together, but Clint Boyer had a great car. Could have won the race today through no fault of his own because the way the package is and everybody's piled up together, they wind up taking 10 cars out in that thing. I mean, I, I'm, I keep trying to come around to your way of thinking, bud, but if I had my way, we should bulldoze this thing and make it a three-quarter mile track and have fun and watch some really good racing because the racing last week at Richmond, the week, racing the week before at Bristol, the racing the week before at Martinsville, I'd watch that every day of the week and three times on Sunday before I would watch this. I mean, I tried to watch as much of this as I could. And it's like, okay, here they are. They're following the leader again. Now they're in single file. Oh, wait, there's the big one. Now they're in single file. And I think Joey Logano had a great car, and congratulations to them on the win. But there was nobody really going to be able to challenge him because if you got in the upper lane, you weren't going to go anywhere. And if you go up and somebody just moves up just a hair off the bottom, they're going to stop your momentum from going forward because of the side draft. I mean, air is everything. It isn't about the car. It isn't about the driver. It's about the air at Talladega. And to me, that's not racing. Yeah, and I think with this package, and I don't know if it was because we don't have the ride height rule anymore um, or what, but it seemed like for this weekend, and I was at Daytona, the Daytona 500, so I don't know. I didn't watch the race on TV, so um, maybe I had a little bit different perspective of it, but I don't remember side drafting being such a major issue as it was today at Talladega. Now, I know side drafting's always been a part of it, but it seemed like when somebody got on the outside of you, you could not go anywhere. Um, it didn't matter how many cars were in your lane. If you could, you could pull them back and side draft, it was a, that made it kind of frustrating in a lot of ways. Um, and I just think, you know, it, it just sort of stalled everybody out. There was really no passing for that reason. We saw it in the Xfinity race that um, – Track position meant a whole lot, and uh, it did say again, you know, track. To run every lap, and I think with track position, these guys aren't going to sit in the back and hang out and wait until the final lap, final 15 laps to race. They're realizing they can't be 15th with 25 to go because everybody's in front. Uh, pretty good but you know at the end of the day I think it's when you look at it you say what is Talladega this is the way it goes sometimes this is the way it happens I think they need to look at this package a little bit because we had the least amount of lead changes since 1998 in a race and I think I think it wasn't as exciting as it could have been uh, and I think they need to maybe look at this package here before we get to the July race at Daytona. Yeah, I think they should too. Um, and the thing is, I don't know if they're going to do anything about it because NASCAR has gotten to the point lately where they've left the package as it is. It used to be where there would be a technical advisory about every couple of weeks when somebody was griping that somebody had too much spoiler or something like that. NASCAR's tried to leave the package the way it is all season long because the owners have cried that, hey, it costs too much money to make any adjustments. 
Uh, if you look at the second 10 in the field, Chris Busher was 11th, Jimmy Johnson 12th, uh, Kyle Busch 13th, Denny Hamlin 14th, Ty Dillon 15th. Great run for them considering they were in a couple of the melees and how bad they've run all year long. Bubba Wallace was 16th, Casey Kane 17th, Ryan Blaney 18th without a uh, rear bumper because it was part of the wreck, Matt Benedetto 19th, and DJ Kennington was 20th. Uh, that's your second 10. Clayton, were there any surprises in that group for you? Well, you know, it's interesting. In Talladega, there's never really a surprise. It's funny. I talked to a friend of mine who's a casual race fan. and always asks, picks my brain for fantasy results. And before this weekend started, I said, there's about seven or eight names that you look at and you say, they probably can't win. Everybody else could win. Um, so Talladega is a crapshoot. It's that big of a crapshoot. And Logano was a, is a great driver, and he wins. He can win anywhere at any time. So um, I don't think it was a surprise winner at all today. But, you know, there were some nice names up there. You talked about DJ Kennington. Uh, that's a team in Gaunt Brothers Racing. Gaunt Brothers Racing. They're running a partial schedule team out of Canada. We're seeing them run a little bit more this year than they did a year ago. Um, it's definitely not a team I don't think anybody expects to go out there and run consistently in the top 20, even in the top 25. So the, for them to finish 20th is a good day. Um, I think they had a decent day. Ty Dillon got a couple of wrecks to finish 15th, not a bad day. Bubba Wallace, a couple of wrecks for him as well. I think Casey Kane ran really good today. I know he didn't um, necessarily have the finish to, ba- to back it up, but he was up there and really had a fast race car. We saw him in the top five and top ten a few times. He did a really nice job today. So um, not a, a ton of surprising names in the top 20 today. Uh, Chris Busher, you mentioned him in 11th, but I think you know his plate presence. He's, he finished, I think, in the seventh spot at Daytona this year, had a really strong run there. So for him to finish 11th uh, at Talladega is not a surprise. So no really big surprise in the top 20 other than Kennington, but a couple of guys who – um, we saw some flashes of all day long and ended up in this position, in these positions. Right. I think Matt, Matt DiBenedetto had a good day overall, even though he finished uh, 19th. I think he ran better than that throughout the day. He was a good pusher throughout the race. Um, and he was up there whenever the melee happened with Jimmy Johnson. He was in the ballpark and wound up. It looked like he, I mean, he snuck through it. It was pretty good the way he snuck through it. I watched his, uh, Watch the Goodyear blimp camera whenever that happened, and it was pretty amazing the way Matt DiBenedetto snuck through that thing. Yeah, um, running the 95 car all year. I mean, the 17th place finishes and how he ran because when Jimmy Johnson's accident happened, and uh, Casey Kane was seventh or eighth whenever that wreck took place, and he was bouncing back and forth into the top five, in the top ten. He was running up front most of the day. So it was the best race Casey Kane had for Levine, Levine Family Racing so far this season. Uh, Cole Witt finished 21st, Brendan gone 22nd, the last two cars on the lead lap. Then you had Timothy Peters in 23rd, um, Gray Galding 24th for BK Racing or whoever the hell owns it this, these days, Ross Chastain in 25th, Truex 26th. He was in the early wreck and wound up only um, – he ran – he was four laps down at the end but still wound up so, I mean, getting a decent day out of it. Joey Gase, 27th. Jamie McMurray, 28th, considering the way he flipped all over the place on Friday. The fact that you get right back in the car is pretty impressive. William Byron, 29th, and Paul Menard, 30th. Um, in that 10, Clayton, what do you think? Um, I think it was an impressive, uh, impressive day for Joey Gase until his engine gave away. I think it was a good, good day for Ross Chastain, a good day for Greg Galding, who snuck through that thing. 
and our boy Timothy Peters. I mean, he did not hurt himself. Only one lap down on a car that does uh, in a uh, first. I mean, that 92 car only ran once before this year. It ran at Daytona with uh, David Gilland. I think Timothy Peters did nothing but uh, get respect for himself with the cup level folks. Yeah, I mean, Timothy Peters is a great veteran driver. Um, it's a shame they were a lap down, and I think they were fighting it for the lucky dog a couple of times there throughout the day. But, you know, you talked about it. It's an old Richard Petty Motorsports chassis from last year. Um, Tina's only won one race all year long. Uh, for them that go out there and finish 23rd, uh, not a terrible day. I think Cole Whit ran pretty good. Again, he was one of those guys, when you look at uh, where they ran all day, he was up in the top 15 from a couple of parts of the day. Same thing with Brendan Gaughan. Um, you know, going down a big wreck there at the end, he had a lot of damage, ended up 22nd. Not a uh, terrible finish, but, you know, they, they only run here once every four races with these super speedway races. And for them to go out there and uh, finish 22nd, a little disappointing because they're, they're really there to finish in the top 10 and go home. Uh, Greg Golding, if you look at probably somebody who had the best maneuver of, around an accident all day long, it's Greg Golding. And that Earth's Water Toyota, and that big one, if you look, there's a little white car that goes and misses about two or three cars there. And sure, some of it's luck, but he did a great job uh, driving through that wreck and, and getting through it without a scratch on his race car. So a great job by Greg Golding finishing 24th. That's a good one for that team. Remember, that team's really without an owner. Um, you know, Banks really running that team, so not a bad job there. Ross Chastain, 25th. Didn't see much of him all day. Seemed like they were kind of lost. And then you had the guys who wrecked with Truex, Joey Gase, Jamie McMurray, a tough year for McMurray continues. William Byron and Paul Menard at one stage one. Uh, if he makes the playoffs, he's got a playoff point for there. Uh, 31st was Clint Boyer. Then you had Rick McDowell, Brad Keselowski, A.J. Allmendinger, Austin Dillon, Tiki Hill, Reed Sorensen, Trevor Bain, Eric Jones, and Kyle Larson rounding out the field. Uh, was there somebody today, John, that you looked at and said they had to have a good finish? Because let's talk about, you know, there's been a lot. The Fords have been sort of the, the – um, the, the outstanding teams of this season so far. You know, we've seen the Fords run really, really good. We've seen Toyotas. Kyle Busch runs pretty good, winning the last three races for Talladega. Uh, Truex has run very good. But there was, was there somebody today that you felt like they had to have a good run to write their season and they didn't? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think Chase Elliott needed to have a good run because he's still trying to make up 45 points in penalties. And, the third place run for Chase Elliott did not hurt him one bit. He's knocking on the door of the playoffs. He's only five points out right now. And considering he's 45 points given back to NASCAR because of penalties, I think it was a great day for Chase Elliott. I thought Jimmy Johnson needed to have a good day. And even though he caused the big pileup, nobody hit him. And he comes out of it with a 12th place finish. And um, right now he's 14th in the playoffs. I think Stenhouse needed a good day. The person who really needed a good day more than anybody, I think, was Trevor Bain. And Trevor Bain, through no fault of his own, got caught up in Eric Jones's mess and wound up dropping a place in the points. He went from 29th to 30th. Um, I'm waiting to see what happens whenever Matt Kenseth gets in that car at Kansas. Um, if it if it's a if Trevor Bain goes out and finishes 25th at Dover this week. And then Matt Kenseth comes out and finishes in the top 10 at Kansas. I think it's a driver problem. If uh, Trevor Bain goes out and finishes 25th at Dover this week and Matt Kenseth goes out and finishes 22nd at Kansas, I think it's a car problem. 
But we'll find out whenever that happens. But Trevor Bain needed to have a really good day. He asked, the funny part is, he goes and asks the media, says, hey, it's a tough week. I have a lot of emotions. Please leave me alone. And the media did, which I'm surprised about. But, I mean, you really just can't sit and pout. You need to stand up. Everybody else stands up and uh, faces the media when things go wrong. Even Kyle Busch is much of a dink as he can be at times. He'll tell you when things are good, when things are bad, what's going wrong, what's go- what's not going on. I think Trevor Bain was – I understand the emotions behind it, that he thinks he's a full-time NASCAR driver, and he has been for the past few years, and he's getting pushed aside because Matt Kenseth is coming back. But, I mean, that's part of the sport. That's part of how this organization runs. I mean, it's a performance-based sport, unless your name's Danica Patrick, and even eventually. So that's who I thought really needed to have a great day and wasn't even close to it, and it was through no fault of his own. I mean, he was running decent. I mean, it's not like he was going to win the race, but he was going to pull off a top 20. Yeah, there's no doubt. I think, um, you know, he, he could have a shot at the end. You never know. I mean, those fours were really, really fast, but, man, it was just, it capped off a tough week for Bain. You just saw that six-car spinning, and you go, oh. You know, if you didn't feel at least a little ounce sorry for Trevor Bain when you saw that six-car spinning today, he said, which, like you said, none of his fault, none of his doing. He was just sort of um, just kind of riding there and, and waiting for stage one to end, and all of a sudden, you know, he's spinning around and crashing. So uh, definitely, definitely a, a, a tough day, uh, excuse me, stage two to end. A tough day for Trevor Bain. Um, and, you know, I also think Jim McMurray was a guy who needed to have a good run. He usually runs, performs very, very well on these play tracks. Um, right now he's sitting, I believe, 24th in the standings, way behind where he normally runs. Um, and he's not running good enough to win races right now. Uh, uh, you know, he's had a tough, tough start to the year. He's got one top 10 finish, one top five finish all year long. And that came at Texas where he finished third. Um, but right now he's 23rd in the standings. And that's not good. At 28th place run, he's going to need to win some race. He's going to need to win a race somewhere, I think, to get in the playoffs because he's so many points back. I don't think he can point his way in anymore. Um, and Talladega was a chance for him. Like I said, he's a pretty good plate racer. He's done a, a lot of nice things. Well, it was a chance for him to go out there and try and win a race and get into the playoffs. Didn't do it today. Again, not really his fault. He was in that wreck, same wreck with Bain. But Jamie McMurray was another guy who you look at it and you say, well, we kind of needed, needed to see something out of him today, and he didn't. So a tough day, no doubt about it. Yeah, that first wreck, uh, Eric Jones, afterwards, uh, when he talked to the media, he said he'd been fighting a loose car all day and unfortunately got down on the apron and they were fighting, trying to get free, and then it took off up the hill and he was out of the throttle, cranked it left. There's only so much you can do. And he said, unfortunately, it ruined our day and a few others. So it's really unfortunate. And Bain, he said, um, they ran great up high and the higher up they would go, the better, because he said the car was on the splitter. So the higher up the, they went, the better off they were. Um, and the one thing that was interesting, he said, you try to manage your highs and your lows. And uh, it's been a low week for him. And he's going to move on to Dover next week. It's frustrating because Talladega is one of those tracks he thinks he has a chance to win at, and he really wanted to do it today. And you're right, Jamie McMurray, um, this season has just somehow been a struggle for him. Uh, I don't know where they go from there. I don't know if it's a crew chief problem, if it's a Jamie problem. Um, it's in the last year, it looked like, um, Larson and McMurray sort of were almost equals. Larson was always to get that, always able to get that little extra out of the car that McMurray couldn't, but at least McMurray was up there contending. 
This year it looks like they're in two different shops because Larson is up there contending, except when he wrecks, and McMurray has just been seemed like out to lunch all season long. Yeah, for sure. I think um, it, it's you look at McMurray's year compared to Larson's. It's been a real tough year, and I think Chevrolet as a holding on has really struggled this year. Um, you know, I talked we've talked about it at, at nauseum this year as far as top ten in points. When you look at the top ten in points, there is one Chevrolet. In the top ten in points, it's Kyle Larson in tenth now. Um, that's scary. You know, uh, there's a couple of Toyota sprinkled in there. You got Bush, you got uh, Denny Hamlin in seventh, Mark Trix Jr. in ninth. They're pretty good, and then the rest are fourth with you know Logano, Harvick, Boyer, Bush, Kozlowski, Blaney. Uh, oh, and then Amarola eleventh. You know, so Fords have really sort of taken this year and finished it out and, and started it really strong. Chevrolet hasn't gotten their feet under them yet. Uh, aside from Larson, it's Alex Bowman who's had a quietly had a pretty decent year in that 88 car so far. Another good run today, puts him 12th in the standings. Um, a, a nice job there. And, and right now, if, if the season ends today, he probably points his way into the playoffs. So uh, a nice job so far by him. Then Jimmy Johnson is as bad as this year has been. He's 14th in the standings, going to a racetrack next week at Dover, um, really capping off Dover next next week is is, is would be a one-year anniversary since his last win. Um, it's his best racetrack by far in the circuit. So we'll see what that 48 really has next week at Dover. But he's 14th in the standings. Uh, then Stenhouse is 15th. Uh, then it's Ryan Newman, 16th in the standings. I didn't like what I saw from the RCR cars today as far as speed was concerned. Um, Newman's had a decent year, but not great. Dylan's uh, got his win in Daytona that locks him into the Jay Then it's Chase Elliott, 18th. He's run pretty good. He should be higher than that in points, but he's got a 50 points penalty. You know, if he had 50 more points on this season, he'd be 11th in the standings right now ahead of Eric Amarola. But instead, he's got two, a 50 point penalty, and he's 18th. Um, again, I think he's going to need to win a race to get into the playoffs. Menard and William Byron rounded out the top 20. Um, you know, so final thoughts on the Cup Series event. We'll talk about the Xfinity Series race next. Uh, but what were your thoughts on a Cup Series event at Talladega Super Speedway? Your final thoughts there? Well, the one thing I keep reflecting back to is the end of the year last year when Brad was griping that Ford's running a five-year-old car and everything's going to crap. Um, I think it's interesting to see what's going to happen next year when they go to the Mustang. And one of the reasons that they have to go to the Mustang anyhow is if this week Ford announced that they're only going to make two cars. They're going to make the Mustang. They're going to make the uh, Focus hatchback. They're the only two cars that Ford's going to produce. They're going to end up producing uh, trucks, SUVs, and the uh, crossover vehicles. That's what Ford's going to produce now. So they're down to two cars. So Mustang is it. And it'll be interesting to see the difference because this year Ford's running like nobody's business. I mean, I will take a Ford over anybody almost every day of the week unless Kyle Busch is in the race. I'll take Kyle Busch's. He'll be he'll be the one to challenge the Fords. Um, but you look, all four Stuart Haas cars are in if the playoffs were to start today. All three Penske cars are in if the playoffs started today. And Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is in if the playoffs started today. So that's eight Fords of the 16 that would go in. So it's an impressive year for Ford in the Blue Oval. Uh, after last year... They struggled, and I think one of the things that makes it better for Ford this year is, and we talked about at the end of the season last year and a little bit in the offseason, 
that Stuart Haas never really made excuses as the year went on, but they struggled in the transition from Chevy to Ford. And now that they've had a year in the notebook and they have a year of wreck stump building chassis and getting things to the way their drivers like them. And I think also Eric Almarola adds more to the drivers and the debrief on the team meetings on Tuesday than Danica ever did because he's up there contending instead of trying to stay out of 30th. So I think that has helped Stuart Haas. I think Blaney coming over to the um, team Penske has made three great cars in that shop. I mean, we saw what Blaney could do in the Wood Brothers car, and that's like a Penske light. And Menard has done well in that, even though he's had a few finishes that are where he struggled out of it. But Paul Menard right now is, excuse me, 11, 11 points out of making the playoffs right now. If he has 11 points, he's tied with Stenhouse. So, I mean, he 12 because Stenhouse has more higher finishes. But Paul Menard's run decent in that 21 car, except he's had a couple wrecks that kind of bit him. But the 21 car, all the Fords are running great this year. Except Trevor Bay. Yeah, they really, they really are. It's been a it's been a really remarkable year um, for Ford. I think a, a very unexpected year. You know, we talked about Stenhouse's struggles earlier in the year, and right now he's 15th in the standings. And you know, you can see that team sort of going on a roll, rolling off a couple of top 15 finishes. And if they do that, he'd probably make the playoffs. So um, we'll see. Dover's one of their best race tracks for Roush Fenway normally historically. Um, so no doubt, uh, I think they're looking forward to this weekend as well, um, and, and, you know, we talked about Jimmy Johnson, but we've seen Harvick win some races at Dover in the past. You know, we've seen McDonald and Kozlowski run really well there. Uh, that it's gonna be, Dover's going to be interesting because, again, Johnson's really, really strong there, um, you know, every year, consistently really, really strong. So um, if we can see what he can bring to the table at Dover, Dover and, and following races at Kansas and Charlotte, very interesting. 919, excuse me, uh, it's 917-889-8280 here, Talking Circles. Clayton Caldwell here, John Harlow uh, as well here on Talking Circles tonight. We're going to review the Sparks Energy 300 from the Talladega Super Speedway, the NASCAR Xfinity Series race. I ended up with a first-time winner, uh, a driver who led his first lap in the Xfinity Series race when he crossed the start finish line first. At the end of the event, it was Spencer Gallagher in the GMS Racing Chevrolet he won. Brandon Jones was second. Then it was Justin Allgaier. Noah Gregson, who finished, who finished fourth and second in his first two Xfinity Series races in his career. He was fourth. Elliot Sadler was fifth. The feel-good story of the day was Ryan Sieg in sixth. Then John Hunter Nemechek, Tyler Reddick, Cole Custer, and Gareth Smithley in tenth. Uh, and the Davis J.D. Motorsports Chevrolet for him as well. Another, a very good run for him. Uh, what were your thoughts to see Spencer Gallagher, a guy who, um, you know, is we've never really seen him up front a, a lot, uh, but GMS, you know, they get their engines and chassis from, or they get their engines, excuse me, from Hendrick Motorsports, so you know they're fast on these super speedway events, and Gallagher pulls off his first career Xfinity Series win. Uh, he was an excited man, young man in victory lane. What were your thoughts on that race? That was the first lap he's led in Xfinity Series competition in his career. And it was lap 115 of the race. So congratulations to Spencer Gallagher and that 23 GMS racing team. Uh, GMS racing, you know they've got the stuff underneath them. You look at their performance in the truck series. Uh, whenever you have Sauter and that group up there running up front on a regular basis. Spencer did really well. when He, he did well in the truck series. He wasn't Johnny Sauter, but he wanted to grow. And you've got dad's money behind you. So that's one of the things that helps. 
um, where they can buy Hendrick engines and stuff. They were there all day, and he made a great move on the final lap to get the win. Uh, phenomenal run by Spencer Gallagher. Yes, the feel-good story of the day is Ryan Segan, the independent operation running sixth in the uh, number 39 car. Um, and he led a lap on Saturday, which was great. I think one of the best stories of the day, John Hunter Nemechek, whenever they were coming to the pits, hit water and spun and still wound up coming back to finish seventh. He was a comer and goer. He was running up front on a regular basis. He was actually able to pass people. Uh, Tyler Reddick ran great in the nine car. Um, unfortunately, got sort of shuffled out at the end. Um, and then Garrett Smithley running, running for JD Motorsports. I mean, another great another great day of no cup drivers in the Xfinity series. It wasn't just cars that were running up there. I mean, you look, Brandon Jones finished second and Noah Gregson finished fourth and Christopher Bell was 12th. But if you look at the combination of those three drivers finishing in the top 12, they combined to lead one lap. So it wasn't just Joe Gibbs racing cars uh, blowing everybody away. I think one of the things that kind of bit people in the butt was the way the final few laps ran out where they wound up cautions and stuff like that. I mean, you look, the 22 car um, was running great all day long. Austin Sindrick was putting on a great show. He was up front. He was actually leading the race, and when they were coming to green, he ran out of gas, so he wound up finishing 30th, and he was one of the class cars of the field. Um, Daniel Hemrick led 39 laps and uh, got caught up in something had penalty and wound up a lap down. But it was a good race, uh, and it wasn't your typical crazy. Um, a lot of people who shouldn't be in these races uh, being in them. I mean, the only real wreck you saw was the one time a Jeske and Ryan Truex was in. Um, and Truex got himself in that trouble for, he said he got him, he was speeding on pit road. So he wound up back in the melee and when Majeski spun, he got caught up into it. So, but it wasn't one of your typical smash up derbies that a Xfinity race is when you don't have a lot of, I mean, when you have a lot of inexperienced drivers driving on the big track, I thought it's great. I mean, I'm really liking this. Um, no cup drivers in the, uh, dash for cash races. I'm looking forward to the playoffs where no cup drivers can be in there. It was a good race on the Xfinity side. Yeah, I agree with you. I think everybody agrees with you. Elliot Sadler won $100,000. Dash for cash, the second time he's won $100,000. He's going to try and go for a third $100,000 at uh, Dover this weekend. But no doubt, I think these Dash for cash races without the cup guys in it uh, make it very, very interesting. And I agree with you about Cindric. I didn't understand that move. I'm sorry, leaving him out and letting him run out of gas there on that final restart. I know you sit there and say, well, track position meant everything all day, but that 22 car, like you said, was the class of the field all day. Yeah, if you you know restarted the 19th, you would have it would have really hurt you and you wouldn't have won the race. But you were fast enough to try and pull off a top 10 finish. Cindric's running for points this year. Uh, and I think it's to keep that in the back of your mind. We should think, oh, let's get as many points as we possibly can. Uh, there was a lot of cars up in the top 19 that normally don't run up there. I mean, for example, the JD Motorsports teams, uh, the C teams that, you know, only really run the plate tracks as far as, this, as the Jeff Green and 93 car does, you could have passed them pretty well. Um, so I don't think it was a major deal to go to come in and, and top off and make sure you got enough fuel because you knew 
with all the caution laps, you were going to be really, really close. And uh, I guess they didn't. They figured they didn't get as much fuel as they needed. A couple of guys ran out of gas, but it really hurt Cindric. And again, he's had a tough start to this year. I think when you look at what he what he wants to do is, is obviously make the playoffs. He had an opportunity to gain a lot of points here this week, and he didn't do it. Uh, and that's frustrating. I know you say, well, if he wins, you're going to playoffs anyway. But I, I think it's very frustrating to, to give up points when you really didn't need to, just by pure uh, silliness of, of not pitting. So um, I think that really fit them. I think they they had to do it all over again. He pitched for gas. There's no doubt about it. Positions 11. Well, I think 20. one of the one of the things of that one, Clayton, the 22 car for Penske, they are running for wins because that 22 car is hoping to win the car owners championship. There's no driver in there other than when Austin Cindric hops in the car or Chase Briscoe hops in the car once in a blue moon that are, they're not running for the championship as drivers. Austin Cindric's running for two different cars, trying to get himself there as much as he can. But I think the 22 car, once they're there, I mean, Penske going, so they went for it. That last extra couple laps, if, um, they don't. If um, I forget who ran out of gas sitting there on the back stretch, whenever they were one to go, they had t- turned the lights off on the caution, and someone ran out of gas coming out of turn two, and it cost the extra lap or two. If they would have run green, then I think Cindric would have had a chance to uh, have a chance to win it. But it is racing. I mean, they tried to stretch it. It was a strategy move, and Team Twenty Two is just going for wins. I mean, that's what they do. You put Brad in the car. You put. Joey in the car, you put Blaney in the car. All three of them have won in that 22 car. Matter of fact, the last three races were won by the 22 car before the dash for cash. They're going for wins. That's all they're there for. And it hurts other people at the time. I mean, it hurt Austin Sindrick because he was trying to win a championship. And they were trying to win the race. And they went race over championship because that's what the 22 car does. Yeah, uh, I Again, I, I understand that, and I understand that's not want to race there. I just felt like to top it off and to get a solid top 10 day out of it would have been better for Austin Cendrick's year because, again, he's trying to make the playoffs there, get the kids some confidence, um, and he was far and away the best car there. Um, so that's a little bit disappointing, I think, uh, as far as that's concerned. But it was a very interesting race as far as it came down to fuel mileage. Um, I think a lot of people weren't uh, you know, thrilled about the fact that it came down to fuel mileage, but um, it's certainly, I think every once in a while, when you let a race play out like that, it's pretty interesting. Um, I'll give you the full, the full field rundown for Xfinity before we talk about the uh, cup, the driver's only broadcast here at the Xfinity Series race. We'll touch on that here um, on Talking Circles. But J.J. Yelly was 11th, and he had Christopher Bell 12th. Jeff Green, the former series champion, he was 13th. Michael Annette, 14th. Shane Lee driving the three-car for Richard Childress, he was 15th. Chase Briscoe was 16th. Vinnie Miller in the JD Motorsports car was 17th. Tommy Joe Martin's 18th. BJ McLeod, 19th. Kaz Grala, 20th. Other notables uh, from 21st on back. We discussed uh, Daniel Hemrick. He had a flat tire. He ended up 23rd. Um, then you had Austin Simpson. We talked about his issues. He ended up uh, 30th. Time Adjust is running for Jack Rouse. He ended up 37th and, and getting involved in the accident. Uh, Ross Chastain was the regular on the circuit as well, and he was 34th. He had some issues as well. Ryan Drex uh, finished 38. So those were the notables in the Xfinity Series race as well. Uh, it was interesting to have a driver's only broadcast, but out in the race, the Cup guys 
were on the broadcast. You had uh, Kevin Harvick, Clint Boyer, and Joey Logano in the booth. On pit road, Double Wallace, Eric Jones, and Ryan Blaney. And in the Hollywood Hotel, you had Brad Keselowski and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Uh, what were your thoughts on that? And do you think of something that works well? Uh, what are your thoughts? I really liked it. Uh, first of all, the lack of wall trips made it a better race to watch. Um, I know Mikey was in the boot, in the Hollywood hotel, helping out Stenhouse and everything, but I think it was great. They gave a better perspective. I mean, a really good perspective whenever they got down to the, um, overtime and the green white checker, the strategy talking between Harvick Logano and Clint Boyer up in the booth was just phenomenal. I mean, you get it with Jeff Gordon, you get Daryl doing his thing. Gordon is closer to the closer to the action than uh, DW is because he's recently retired. But I think having those active drivers down there was really impressive. I mean, I think considering they drive cars for a living, they wound up making an entertaining broadcast. They gave us, it's not like we didn't get information out of them. I mean, Bubba's up there talking to crew chiefs about the strategy going in and what they're asking their driver to do and everything. And then they were taking shots at each other, which made it fun. I mean, Bubba was making fun of Blaney the whole time. Blaney was ending up making fun of Bubba. I mean, it was a good, I mean, it was a legit broadcast, but it was fun. And I think that adds to it. I mean, you end up getting with the regular crew a legit broadcast. I mean, Mike Joy is as good a play-by-play guy as there is. But I'll tell you, Kevin Harvick held his own. He does good with the play-by-play. He gets him in and out. He gets it to the point where Logano and Boyer can talk. And he leads the broadcast. It's not like you have three of them talking all over each other like they don't know what's going on. I think Harvick did a good job leading that. Kislowski is a very good spokesperson for the – I mean, he's a very good spokesman whenever it comes to this uh, NASCAR and the Cup Series. He did a good job getting everybody in and out. I mean, and the funny part is what made it really interesting is when Harvick won the poll – he had to do all the photo shoots and stuff down in uh, Victory Lane for winning the poll. He's 10 minutes late getting up there to start the broadcast. So Logano and um, Boyer and Kozlowski and Stenhouse did a great job covering for it. And they showed the video of Harvick running up the steps to be able to get in there and do the broadcast. I thought it was a phenomenal job. I really like it. I wish they'd do it more often. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, um, a little bit as far as you talked about the um, the drivers, and they did work good knowledgeable. The only thing I noticed with this, and this is going to come with experience, was they were a little quiet, uh, especially the guys on pit road, where when the cars are going by them, they kept the same tone. And we see, you know, the pit crew guys, you know, when you listen to Matt Yoakum and, and people who are more experienced, Jimmy Little, you know, when the cars go by, they raise their voice. You can hear it pick up instead of staying the same level. And there was a few times when the cars were going by them on the front straightaway, when you listen to Blaney and, and Bubba Wallace and Eric Jones, where they didn't understand to do that, and you really had a hard time hearing what they were saying. So um, I think that was really the only big-time nitpick I had on them was that, you know, if they did this at Bristol where it's constantly loud, you know, they're going to have to speak a lot louder. Um, and and it, that just comes with experience. It's not a big knock. I don't think it's anything major. But there was just sometimes we kind of had to sit there and you're like, what did he just say? Because – they didn't really understand what they were saying because they couldn't – they don't have the experience to, and to understand that, you know, the, the, the mics and everything pick up the sound so well, cars, that you really have to speak really to speak up when the cars are going by because we really couldn't hear what they said a couple of times on pit road. I think that was really my only critique 
um, uh, you know, in the booth um, as far as uh, the, the driver-only broadcast. Yeah, I think the driver-only broadcast, I mean, like you said, that's a, that's a learning process. I mean, you and I have done this for a few years here, and there, every now and then we'll have a mic issue where it's like, oh, crap, we, I need to talk louder or whatever. I mean, that's the second time they've done this. And I think for what they've done, they did great. I think next year, if they do it again, which they probably will, they'll have Jamie, they'll go through in the production meeting beforehand and say, okay, guys, when they drive by you on the front stretch, you have to talk louder because the mics will pick it up. But I think it was a great entertaining broadcast. It had knowledge um, in the booth. I mean, got three drivers up there who know what the heck they're doing. They know how the heck to get around the track. And they're very good at uh, explaining what's happening from the driver's point of view, which I really enjoyed the heck out of. Hey, certainly interesting. Again, I think I don't know how many weeks I can work because there was no doubt that they weren't as, as far as the stats are concerned and, and the strategies and all that, they weren't really nearly as well-versed. That's why Michael Waltrip and Larry McReynolds are in the booth with them because they're the guys who study it all and know all the information they're certainly bringing a different perspective to that. I, I totally agree, but I don't know if they can sit there with their day job, these guys who race, you know, uh, 40 times a year in the Cup Series in our practice sessions and all that kind of stuff to read up on, you know, who's the crew, who's the crew chief of the 93 car and uh, where he's been in the past and what team that is and all that kind of stuff. So um, certainly there is a job for those guys who do it on a weekly basis in the future, but um, – yeah, I don't mind it once in a while. I think it helps. I think it was it made it a little bit of a dull in the middle of the race. It was a little bit dull. I think it made it for an interesting middle part of the race of the NASCAR Xfinity Series. So I think that was, um, when you look at it, that's something that uh, certainly worked well this weekend. 917-889-0280. Talking circles. you got Clayton Cobble. you got John Harlow here with you tonight discussing the weekend of Talladega Super Speedway. And as, as much fun as this weekend was at Talladega Super Speedway. Um, unfortunately, it was it. There was a a heavy hearts this weekend at Talladega as well. It was it was done with heavy hearts and in a big cloud over the speedway. 1972 Talladega winner James Hilton, who owns an ARCA team, um, his, his son helps him run it, uh, and and it's crew chief and Terry Strange. Brad Smith is the driver of that team. They're coming home from the ARCA race on Friday night. Uh, and got killed on 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 route back to their shop in South Carolina. Uh, James his son, and his son James Jr. Um, died uh, in a car accident. James Hilton was 83 years old. His, his son was 66 years old. Hilton, a, a long time independent in the NASCAR Cup Series circuit, uh, won two races. Like I said, 1970, I believe he won at Rockingham. 1972, he won at Talladega. Uh, he was a 1966 NASCAR Premier Series Rookie of the Year. Um, from 1966 to 1975, he finished in the top ten in points all but one year. Um, he was a, a, a great independent driver, uh, finished second in the points in 1971, just was a great driver back in the 60s and 70s, ran until the, up into the ARCA series until he was about 78 years old and the age of 83. Um, just a tough, tough day when you look at James Hilton and everything he did for the sport. Um, being an independent and, and just a passionate racer, losing his life, certainly a, a, a sad day and a sad weekend 
at Talladega Super Speedway when you think about what James Hilton contributed to this sport, John. Yeah, it really was. I mean, James Hilton and his son were driving their vehicle back from Talladega, and um, their truck left the road, hit an embankment at 6.10 in the morning. Um, you almost wish I – mean, it's probably one of those things where – he still has the pa- he still had the passion to race toward the end. I mean, until until the very end. I mean, they were at a racetrack the day before and they were driving home from it. Um, but the independentness, uh, the way that he worked and the way he used and tried to make every dollar count, um, probably should have pulled over and stayed in a hotel that night instead of trying to drive through from Talladega. I mean, they were returning to South Carolina and they wound up. Um, being killed in an accident not far from, I mean, it was probably wasn't too far from their shop. Um, and they were coming off the 40th place finish at Talladega. I mean, they finished last in the race. Um, James Hilton was one of those guys that you always sort of had, a, you sort of pulled for. I mean, what was he, 75 or something, whenever he tried to make the Daytona 500 one last time. And it was a feel-good story of the weekend. I mean, I think it was the same weekend that Danica won the pole. It was only a couple of years ago. Um, and it's just sad that that happened. I mean, you almost, you wish that people had more funding for what they were able to do. I mean, here's a guy who's still chasing his dream. He loved the race. He loved, uh, building race cars. Him and his son were building this. They had this little shop going. They still competed on the Arca series and coming home from Talladega, they didn't make it home. And it's really sad that it, a legend in the NASCAR ranks for just trying to do what he loved to do. It's not like he was the Penske's or the Joe Gibbs or anything. This is a guy who had a shop and he had a few guys working with him and he built cars and tried to continue to live out his dream. And I'll tell you flat out, if I'm 83 years old, James Hart Hilton did, I'd be a happy camper. And it's sad that we lost both him and his son as they were heading home from Talladega. But it's one of those things. They were coming back from where they loved to be. They were at the racetrack the day before. And even though the finish wasn't what they had hoped for, um, they still were able to compete. They were still able to do what they loved to do. And um, my thoughts and prayers, and I know Clayton's are with the Hilton family. For sure. I think it's it's certainly – it was a tough weekend. I mean, I remember James – like you said, it, it was a feel-good story. It was 2007, I remember, him trying to make the Daytona 500. And, um, you know, at that point, that's when I first learned about James Hilton. I didn't realize that he had a career prior to this in NASCAR and, and was very successful, like I said, in this late, early 70s, late 60s, was an extremely successful race car driver. You know, when he missed the Daytona 500 in 2007, I didn't realize that. I, you know, the research came out, and you're like, wow, good for him. It's awesome to see, you know, um, and he finished 23rd that day. I remember he stayed out on old tires to see if clean air could do anything for him because he wasn't going to make the race, you know, any other way. Uh, and he got sort of eaten alive on a restart. But it was cool to see him go out there and compete. Um, you know, he ran the Arca Series, like I said, up until 2013. At the age of 78, he was driving. Uh, he put Brad Smith in the race car, you know, and um, we hope to have Brad on Talking Circles here in the, in the coming days to talk about more about what James uh, his career was about and how he was as a car owner and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, just a, a really, really sad day. And you're right, you know, they they, can't, they passed away doing what they loved, really, coming home from what they loved. And that was um, 
racing. And, and I always admire people who have a huge passion for this sport because there's so many people who can, you hear them complain about, you know, the travel and all, all the racing and, and all the stuff. And they say, well, I'm just sick of it. I got tired of doing this. I got tired of doing that. And when you look at somebody like James Hilton, who was seven, who was 83 years old, and easily could have had every excuse to be sitting on the couch. And, and if, you know, he told you his story and he was sitting on the couch at 82, you'd sit there and go, sir, you've earned the right to sit on the couch and not do anything for the rest of your life because you've had a long life of working hard. Um, and he chose to sit there and go, you know what? I don't, I choose not to sit on the couch. I choose not to be retired. I'd rather go racing. And when you looked at that, you said, I admire that because he doesn't have to be out there. He wants to be out there. And that was, that's what made it so, so great because as a race fan, you really, really appreciate that. And, um, you know, even though they don't have success, uh, you know, they don't have the success that other teams have in the ARCA series, just to go out there and compete um, was, was fun for them. So, Certainly a heavy, heavy heart this weekend at Talladega. You couldn't not think about James Hilton this weekend at the Philly Series race and the Cup Series race at Talladega because he won there in 1972, and it's like, man, you can't help but think about what happened um, and how tragic that that was. You know, Terry Strange was with him, this crew chief. He, he survived the wreck, has a, a couple of broken bones um, in the truck, but uh, just a really, really sad day, and it makes you wonder what's next for that race team uh, in the ARCA Series as well. Well, here's a statement from NASCAR and ARCA. Uh, Racing competitively in parts of six decades, James Hilton's dedication, passion, longevity in motorsports is virtually unmatched. Hilton won Rookie of the Year at NASCAR's highest level, the 1972 race at Talladega Super Speedway, and regularly contended for championships during the early years of his career. His racing influence continued into the ARCA series, where he competed as a driver and most recently as a car owner. We've lost a truly special member of the racing family and a beloved figure among generations of competitors and fans alike. We extend our deepest condolences to the Hilton family and the tra- tragic loss of James Hilton and his son, James, J- James Jr. Uh, that was a statement from NASCAR and ARCA. And James, I mean, if you look at his career, he um, started 175 races as a driver in the ARCA series. As an owner, he fielded a car in 638 Cup events, 413 ARCA events, and the only ARCA win he ever won was 2003 with Shelmerdine as his driver. That's a hell of a lot of dedication for that man. James Hilton, we're going to make yeah. in. Uh, thank you for being part of our sport. Absolutely. Thank you for being part of our sport. And we're really going to miss him. He was, you know, like I said, he was always a guy you pulled for because you sat there and said, man, you know, there might be, people who have more money and, and, and run better, but I guarantee there's nobody who's got more passion out there than James Hilton and his race team. And uh, just a terrible, terrible tra- tragedy in our thoughts and prayers as we echo again are with James Hilton and his family, James Hilton's family and friends and all the people on that race team. Just going to be a tough week for them and, and tough moving forward. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking in Circles tonight. Um, it was a, a, we had a fun show. And uh, again, you know, we're thinking about James Hilton here in uh, – everybody out there and in South Carolina who looked up to him uh, as a hero. Um, like us on Facebook, like us on Twitter, if, if you heard what, like what you heard tonight. Um, we'll see you next time here on Talking in Circles. We're not sure when that will be, um, but we'll, we'll see you next time here on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody. See you next time.